You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. If you'd like to call in, if you'd like to participate in the show, please feel free to do so. The phone number here is 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. We don't have any new callers, so let's kick it off with Jacob. Well, I'm Packernet. Uh, Jacob here. I normally don't call in this much. I've only called in but a couple of times. Oh, I called in a couple of days ago. Uh, but I like Brian's rant on Jordan Love, and I wanted to add a couple things to it. Um, I, in terms of the Colin Coward thing, can't take him, uh, at least on that take, man. That's. I think he just hates the Packers. Um, that's okay, though. Yeah. Uh, and, and the big thing that he keeps referencing is he's like, well, we haven't seen anything good. And, and all these – well, we knew – we knew going into when they were starting. It's like, did we know? Or, or, or does everybody just say that we know? Right. Because I just looked up the power rankings for quarterbacks 2018. I'm, re- I'm looking at the rankings right now, USA Today. Preseason, Patrick Mahomes, 26. That's <laughs> behind <laughs> some pretty bad quarterbacks. Yeah. It says, uh, accuracy is scattershot. <laughs> we'll throw some of the worst interceptions you'll see. Kind of mistakes you can expect. Uh, from a 22-year-old, and it's and it's okay. Like why? Like in Joe Burrow ranked 22nd in 2020. Yeah. Like did we really know these guys were good, or does everybody just say that we knew? Like right. everybody says they knew about Rodgers. Like did we know? Right. Like in year one that he was going to be good. Like well, it was it was it was just like that clip that I played. I think on Packernet After Dark, where I went out and found Rodgers comes in for Air, for Brett Favre in that Dallas game. And immediately the announcer's like, you know, they're not going to win a lot of games with Rodgers at the helm unless something tra- changes dr- dramatically or whatever. Like, it, I mean, you could you could just hear the the freaking condescension and like this is a disaster with this Rodgers kid based on what we've seen so far. Did we know? Like, Brett wasn't good off the rip. The Falcons traded him. Right. Uh, whatever. That's my rant. Um, yeah. Let's just keep defending our guy. Let's go, Jordan. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think that is normal. I mean, everybody's trash until they prove it, and then it's everybody new, right? I mean, Brett Favre was a joke. I'm stunned at what we gave up for Brett. I think the Falcons were stunned. I remember Brett talking about they, they would make fun of him. They would use him as like a circus clown because he had a big arm. So they would, I don't remember what it was, like have him throw into the stands or something. But yeah, they, they treated him like garbage. Like he was a big joke. He was never going to do anything. He was never going to be anything. And you know, the Packers really, really liked him and thought he was going to be something and traded for him. And um, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I was very, very young at the time. I wasn't really tuned into what was going on. But um, I'd be willing to bet that was not thought of as a brilliant move to trade for Brett Favre. 
I mean, kind of a crazy thing to do. I mean, the Brett Favre was a second-round pick. I mean, he was a very early second-round pick, but he was a second-round pick. He spent one year with Atlanta where he sat on the bench, and then we picked him up for a first-round pick. And I, I don't know exactly what the pick was, but I know that we suck, sucked at football at the time, so I would assume it was a relatively early first-round pick. And it's funny, I was looking it up here. Uh, they actually have a video of Brett Favre. It says, Brett Favre throws a pick six on his first career throw. Can you imagine what social media would do? Could you imagine the negative Packer fans and the Bears fans and everybody else if the Packers traded a first-round pick, a high first-round pick or mid or whatever, for a second-round pick quarterback who played for the Falcons, was terrible, like his first throw was a pick six, like it would be, it's unbelievable the amount of scrutiny that would come this way. If social media, if Twitter and everything else was around back then, and you're right, we pretend we knew about Pat Mahomes, and and, and again, I, I believe that there were much more positive reports coming out about Mahomes, but you're right, you, you actually point out the, I think the reality that, and probably to some degree rightly so, the skepticism of young players. But we pretend then, it, it, we, we put a lot of these young guys, and, and not all of them, some of them are gushed over since day one. I think Fields has been dominant since the day he joined the Bears. I don't know why that happened, but some of these guys are even more unfairly crapped on because there's a false perception that all the good quarterbacks have been loved. Like, we always know exactly who the good ones are going to be. And a lot of times it's based on our pre-draft priors, you know, which, again, I think is a Fields thing. We knew since day one he was going to be great in the pros, and, and all the people that said that are refusing to let that go even today. Mac Jones I don't think was ever really liked, even though, I mean, everything you can say about Fields in college, aside from the rushing, you could say about Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones was arguably better marginally than Justin Fields, but nobody liked Mac Jones. So nobody cared. But yeah, I mean, there's there's this unfair sense of, well, we haven't seen anything. We don't know you, so you're probably going to be bad. And also, if you were good, we would know by now like we do with Mahomes. No, you didn't know. You didn't know with Mahomes. You didn't know with Joe Burrow. You didn't know with any of these guys. I mean, you know, I, I really, really liked Joe Burrow. And I really, really liked Herbert. And I, I stood on both of those guys. But you know who else I liked? Josh Rosen. And so did a lot of people in the media like him, a lot. And even the people that didn't like him, nobody was saying he shouldn't even be drafted, which is ultimately, when you look at his career, he probably shouldn't have been, because he's garbage. You know who else I liked? Zach Wilson. I didn't watch a ton of him, but the little bit I did, yeah, I liked him. But it's so easy to look back and be like, dude, I watched Burrow, I was a huge Burrow fan. I knew it all along. Except I don't say that because I'm not an idiot. And some people like to say stuff like that. They like to do things like that, like Colin Coward. We always knew Pat Mahomes was going to be great. No, you didn't. Yes, you heard buzz out of camp. We hear we heard buzz out of camp about Fields. He hasn't done anything. You hear buzz out of camp about all kinds of people that never go on to do anything. I mean, I, I'm struggling to remember rookies that we heard a ton of buzz about that failed, especially early ones. But how about this for an example? Martellus Bennett. Dude, the word out of camp. You would have thought that this is going to be the next coming of 
like peak Tony Gonzalez. Like it, it, the, the Rodgers to Martellus Bennett thing was going to be the most unbelievable thing. And I think we did that a little bit with Jimmy Graham too, except we didn't really buy it because we just saw what happened previously. But we had heard all about the Jimmy Graham connection and it started to get a little exciting. You know what happened? Nothing. So again, I, I don't mind saying I don't know, but I don't feel good about it. Honestly, that's probably the camp I'm in. I don't know what's going to happen. He might be great. If you put $10 million on a table and said, is this guy going to be your quarterback for the next 10 years, or are you going to be looking to replace him soon? I'd probably say looking to replace him soon. That would be my bet. For that amount of money, if I'm being completely honest, that's, that's, that's my bet. I think most quarterbacks don't pan out, and I think we have not really seen a lot of great things that point me in the direction that he's going to be great. Last year was good, but again, preseason kind of sucked, and it really was just that one Eagles game, which was like nine passes. But I don't know. I don't know. And neither do you, and neither does Colin Coward, or neither does anybody else. So, it, yeah, it, it is frustrating when people try to say, if, if he was great, we would know. No, you wouldn't. Especially you, Colin. You really wouldn't. Hey, Ryan. Uh, you're answering the question right now about the skill positions and, like, who will be the most used for wide receiver running back tight end. And, okay. Um, you start with tight end, and you're, you know, the, 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 the conversation is just Kraft or Musgraves. Um, and I don't know. I think I think we do this every off season. We get sucked into these young guys that may, maybe the Packers are going a new direction. I, I I honestly hope they are. But if history tells us anything, the most used if we're just looking at snap count, I think it's going to be Deguara. Um, I don't necessarily think he'll be the most productive, uh, you know, numbers wise. Um, I also still don't rule him out though. I I think there's a chance, you know, he's had injury problems. So if those continue, obviously. That's going to be that. You know, if he, if he has injury problems and Musgrave and Kraft stay on the field, that's going to be the death nail for Dubois this year. But um, I, I just, the Packers never play rookies. And maybe that was just a Rodgers thing, but I don't think it is because we don't really on the defense either. Um, like, we'll get, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the defense tackle we drafted last year, who didn't really play much Wyatt. last year. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, no rookies ever seem to play significantly. Um, and like I said, I, we're going with the young team now um, and everything, and I hope that philosophy is changing. But if I had to use the pass to predict, um, I think Dewar is going to be, like you said, 11 personnel. you got one tight end out there. I think it's Dewar most of the time. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Go back, go. Well, I'm fairly confident you are wrong. A <laughs> uh, couple of things. First of all, I, I talked about Kraft and Musgrave. I didn't go through everybody on the roster. I was kind of handpicking a few that I thought would be the most interesting to talk about. Um, so it's not like I just forgot to mention him because I thought he was going to be off the team and these other guys are going to be great. I think DeGuara will be ahead of Kraft because I don't think Kraft is really picking it up right now, um, just based on what we're seeing. But here's the thing. I don't think it was necessarily just a Rodgers thing as much as it was an all-in thing. Um, if you listen to what, um, uh, Andrew Brandt was saying, the Packer way is to play the young guys. That's the way things have always been done. So why is it different? Because I think the Packers recognize they have a small window with Aaron Rodgers and we need to win. And this is not, let's bring along the young guys thing. I think that changes. Secondarily, we don't have a choice anymore. Not playing young guys doesn't make it. Wyatt's a young guy. He has to play. Watson and Dobbs and Reed and Ture, we don't have a choice. They have to play. And the same is true of the tight ends. There is no option where we don't play the young guys. They have to, and they have to play a significant role. But beyond that, since day one of OTAs, Musgrave has been tight end one. That has not changed even once. Not one time has DeGuara been ahead of Musgrave. And you see that a lot. I mean, Lucas Van Ness is like number four or five, if you include Rashawn Gary, on the depth chart. They're going to make him work his way up. 
Musgrave, no chance. He was immediately tight end one. First day of OTAs, he's never been anything but that. Two more points. Number one, I don't think the Packers like DeGuara at all. They've never liked him. They've always underutilized him in comparison to what fans have wanted. So I don't think they have any real massive regard for utilizing him. And I shouldn't say they don't like him, but I don't think they see an offense in which he becomes a featured piece, which is kind of leads into the final point, which is the way in which these guys are used. DeGuara is basically a fullback. He's going to be used once in a while on passing plays. He's going to be a lead blocker, but Musgrave is the receiver. He's going to be used as a receiver. And so um, I, I really, really, really have very little doubt that Musgrave is tight end one, just in terms of usage. Again, there are three different positions among the, the different tight ends. And, and unfortunately, I, I not only is DeGuara ahead of Kraft, but it's fairly obvious to me that um, Tyler Davis is ahead of Kraft as well. And I think that makes sense because Tyler Davis is going to be the Mercedes Lewis guy. And as much as we're like, well, Tucker Kraft's a big guy, he can do it. Mm, no, Tyler Davis has been getting tons of praise in training camp about how good of a blocking, uh, good of a job he's done blocking. And the Packers, unlike DeGuara, seem to love Tyler Davis in comparison to how fans tend to feel about Tyler Davis. So as of right now, we'll see if Tucker Kraft kind of takes a bigger role at some point. Luke Musgrave is sort of your Jimmy Graham, Robert Tunyon tight end. He is your receiver. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be in line as a receiver most of the time. That's what he's going to be, and he's going to be the most heavily used receiving threat on the offense. Josiah DeGuara is going to have the exact same role he did before because he's the same guy that he was before. I mean, he, he is that H-back tight end, and he's going to have the same role and I think a very similar amount of usage in the offense. They may lean on him a little bit more, but I don't know that that's the case. I think we all kind of hope it is a little bit because we all sort of liked him, but I don't necessarily see an increased role for him. And, and Tyler Davis, I think, is, is largely going to be the fill-in for Mercedes Lewis. That is, unless and until Tucker Kraft can kind of step up and take that job from Tyler Davis. But as of right now, he has not. Tyler Davis is, is locked into that spot as the number three Mercedes Lewis type. So I don't think it's getting sucked in. I think it's just, I'm just reading the tea leaves here. Again, Lucas Van Ness, he's the one that's buried down the depth chart that might not get as much as we all expect. Jaden Reed might not get a ton because as of right now, it's Watson and Dodge are going to be the clear number one and number two. And Reed is fighting with Samori Ture to be sort of that number three rotational slot guy, whatever. Right? There's plenty of guys that I don't think are going to get a ton, maybe not nearly as much as, as other people seem to think. But Musgrave, the Packers have, again, since day one, he has been a major feature of this offense. They have forced him to the forefront. So, yeah, I, I, anything's possible. I just have very little doubt that he is going to be pushed into the limelight immediately. Ryan, Jeff, I remember. Hey. Um, totally agree with you on the wide receivers uh, that you had basically called out your order and ranked them. I think I see it the exact same way. I think. Um, totally agree with you right now. That's where I think everybody falls. This Cody Crest guy, um, sounds like his aim is to obviously make this team. Um, but I don't know, you know, he has an ultra bright future and aqua fresh legs. Uh, I'd love to see him close up. Okay, enough of my dad jokes related to toothpaste. But Crest, no, I got it. Seriously. I, I was uh, like, what are you talking about? I have been shocked how well he's played. Um, I'm curious to see. You know, I'm not calling him the next Steve Largent, but I'm just curious to see how things play out with him. Maybe we can stash him on the practice squad and, you know, he develops into a 
Panther Six guy, you know, down the line. I'm not sure. But thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Take care. Yeah, and I'm upset, as I mentioned before, for whatever reason on my sheet here, Cody Crest got deleted, so all of his notes got deleted. Um, and I didn't think about that. Like, why don't you push back a few times until he pops back up? I went through an entire day of training camp putting in new notes, and I'm not going to undo all that and then go back. And so he's just gone off of the 53-man roster right now. Um, but anyways, yeah, Cody Crest, I think, is a fun guy to talk about now. But he's also one of those guys that we can we can spend a lot of time talking about Cody Crest and what his role might be in the future or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think we know that it's it's not really worth talking that much about. Like zero chance he's ahead of Watson. Zero chance he's ahead of Dobbs. Zero chance he gets ahead of Reed. Zero point two percent chance he ends up ahead of Samori Ture. Zero point five percent chance he's ahead of Tay Wicks. And even if, let's say he's, you know, Grant DeBose stays out with his injury and, um, you know, he's he's more impressive than Bo Melton, Deuce Watts, Watts Malik Heath, Jadakus Bonds. Um, oh, you know what? I got Deuce Watts in here twice. Is one of these my guy? It is. How did that end up Deuce Watts? Sweet. I was like, I, there's so many wide receivers. I feel like nothing, there's no way one of them got deleted. It's because I have two Deuce, somehow... Crest became Deuce Watts. Anyways, he's ahead of Jadakus, Deuce Watts, Andre Miller. Even still, if he's wide receiver six, if we keep six wide receivers and he's wide receiver six, he's not going to get hardly any usage. And usually when these things happen, because every year we get a bunch of these guys that, that or, or at least a handful, that really make a name for themselves, that everybody gets excited about, once in a very rare while, among those groups, one of those guys does end up making it. How often do, do those people then go on to be quality players for us? I'm struggling to think of a single example. Like an undrafted free agent joins the team, really impressive, and actually goes on to be something. Maybe one of the corners back in the day or something, you know? I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I think back to what the heck was that guy's name? I think he played for the Badgers, maybe? But this guy was just, I mean, Cody Crest times 10. Let me see if I can find him. Was it Max McCaffrey? It might have been, or Colby Pearson, maybe? I can't remember. Somebody was absolutely just dominating camp, and I don't even think they made the team. I don't know, but, you know. Oh, you know what? I think it was because he's he, Max McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey's brother, and I knew there was some kind of ties. That's why I was thinking maybe it was um, Jake Kumaro because Kumaro is cousins of the Bosa boys. But I think it might have been Max McCaffrey because I'm pretty sure he is Christian McCaffrey's brother, and that was part of, like, the allure. And he ended up like having a great camp, I think, and it just it didn't really turn out. But anyways, the, the, the point is, the reason I look at guys like Cody Crest, and I, I'm happy for him for having a great camp, and maybe it could lead to them possibly making the 53 someday or something, being on the low end. The, the reason I'm skeptical is because, again, we do this every year, and there's almost a unanimous result. It's the same reason why I don't buy into like seventh-round prospects. Every single year, seventh-round prospects are hyped up. How many of them have been good players? I'll just say good, not even great. All right, this year, tons of buzz about DeBose, Lou Nichols, Anthony Johnson, Carrington Valentine, like literally all four of those guys. Maybe not as much Grant DeBose, but three of the four, and absolutely Anthony Johnson being massive buzz. I mean, you know, last year, Tariq Carpenter and Samori Ture were a big deal, as was Rasheed Walker. I mean, he oh, he was a fourth-round prospect. He's going to be super good. Maybe he will. We'll see. Vernon Scott, that was a big name. Ty Summers, I mean, he played, 
But in terms of like what's 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 the ceiling? What are we dealing with here? Malachi Dupree. That was a big one. Another guy that should never lasted that long. Can't believe we got him in the seventh round. What a steal. Jeff Janis might be a good example of a guy that actually did play, was liked, had some some uh redeeming qualities. But compare Jeff Janis to any legitimate starting wide receiver. It's it's a different stratosphere, man. I mean, he's he's a he's a fill in. And honestly, he might be the best seventh round player. I'm just going back through the list here. I mean, Matt Flynn, I mean, that's pretty fantastic, all things considered, but he's not a starting quarterback. He's a backup. So I you know. Anyways, I, I all that to say, I'm happy for the guy. And maybe, 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 maybe he even makes the fifty three. He could be number six out of six. But that is unlikely. And even if he does, he's hardly gonna play. He he's barely gonna touch the ball, if at all. And it's it's there's like a 0.2% chance it materializes into something substantive. But it's a fun training camp story. Same with same with Bo Melton. I I like both of them. I think the other issue, though, being especially, I don't remember Cody Crest, but I know Bo Melton, he's undersized, which shouldn't matter, right? We got these undersized guys that are really showing out in camp, and you'd think the Packers would be like, hey, maybe this is evidence. You guys should be looking more into these guys. They don't, they're not going to. They're not going to. Yeah, he'd had a good camp, but he's too small. Don't like it. Me no likey. Hey, Ryan, it's Jersey Mike. Howdy. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to let you know that I absolutely agree with you on your response to my, my defense comment. Um, and I, I'm, I'm with you on Lucas Van Ness being a pretty boy. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's he, he definitely... I'm glad I got one friend out there. Not a bad-looking dude. Um, and I hope he's got that fire in him. Um, my, like, like you were saying, uh, defense, you, you want those guys out there who are, uh, you know, a little deranged. Um, and, and from my perspective, that's... Absolutely. Uh, aggression, derangement. Uh, you got, we want guys out there who, who, within reason, I love saying that apparently, but within reason, they're going to go out and they're going to smash people's heads and, and break them. Uh, you know, when I played safety in, in school, um, and so I, I played with Muhammad Sanu, by the way. Uh, he, 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 <laughs> he, he, he was a good player in high school. And uh, I, I feel like it's my fault that he uh, got drafted by Rutgers. Okay. Because um, when scouts were there, I was, I was having fun, too. But anyway, I, I used to play safety right next to him um, when we were on the defensive side of the ball. <clears throat> and I'll be honest, there, there wasn't a time where I wasn't trying to headhunt somebody. Um, I, would, I would pick a guy on the enemy team, and I'd be like, I'm, I'm just going to knock your head off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to destroy your shins. I'm going to break you in half so you can't run routes anymore. I, yeah, I'm, I'm smaller. Uh, in high school, I was like 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, but, you know, I was squatting 400 pounds at that time. It's, it's annoying because I can't do that anymore. I hear um, you. But I was, I was a thick, well-or-half human being. My upper body wasn't big, but I, I would hit people really freaking hard by just driving straight through them. And the fact that... I could hide behind my defensive linemen, my linebackers, my corners were even bigger than me. Uh, it, it just made it so I came out of nowhere, and I, I, I hit people real real hard. Um, I remember we were doing practice one day, and I, I feel bad. He's now a police officer in my town, um, but our, our running back, um, he, he decided in all of his glory um, on kickoff return that he was going to try to take it back for a touchdown. Like, he, he legitimately, we were in practice, and we were at pads on, he legitimately was trying to take it back for a, a TD. So, uh, I laid him out. Real, real, 
real hard, real bad. Um, this was this is in middle school, but I I I drove him straight through the ground and I ended up breaking his collarbone. And and that's what I want from the guys on defense. I want guys out there whose intention is to hurt you. But, you know, I play defense because I've got anger problems. Obviously, I my name is Jersey Mike. I got an attitude for a reason. But yeah. like, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I, I want guys who are killers on defense who can just... Yeah, he got cut off by the three-minute mark there. Look, I we'll see, man. But, I mean, I you know, again, his 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 body is... It was made in a freaking laboratory. There's no doubt about that. But I think there's just a ceiling if you're not a little bit crazy. There's a ceiling. Like, you can be good, but people in that upper stratosphere... I think are just a little little tweaked in the head. You know, Miles Garrett's real good. He tried to cave a quarterback's skull in with his helmet. These guys aren't all right in the head. So, you know, maybe Lucas Van Ness is going to be a really good football player, but I, I, I hope when, 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 similar to Razul Douglas, right? Razul off the field, super nice dude. Then he gets on the field and he's a little crazy. Maybe that's Lucas. I don't know. But I'm hoping to see that. I want to see him get in somebody's face and just sock somebody with their helmet on. And you know what? But I don't care. I don't care what kind of a, you know, boy band, Justin Bieber haircut you've got. Because the switch flips. And as long as there's a psychopath switch that flips in your brain when you're on the field, I don't give a crap. But he's just got this sort of, like, shy, aw shucks demeanor. You know, nice guy smile. You know, he's the kind of guy that dads would trust their daughters with him, you know? I look forward to watching him play. Because I want to see an absolute crazy person. Not just a, a... tall, muscled-up guy that hopefully can learn some techniques. There you go. My thoughts. Uh, let's take a break. I'm ready to take a break. Um, grassfedcooperative.com. Use promo code PACKER10. That's capital P, PACKER10. If you want high-quality grass-fed beef sent directly to your door, check out grassfedcooperative.com. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey Ryan, Dan from California. What's up? Any uh, good video editor editors out there? Do like the video memes? Uh, well, I just uh, was thinking about uh, Jordan Love's interview with Stacey Dales, and 
He said uh, he was, uh, he's finally out the darkness, right? Out the shadows. <laughs> out the, you know, he just, you know, he just training in the shadows. Well, uh, I was just thinking about it, and I, I listened to the whole Batman quote of, uh, um, you think darkness is your ally? <laughs> well, uh, basically, uh, Jordan Love's been, been in the shadows, and, uh, Aaron Rodgers went on a darkness retreat, right? Oh, there you and go. then this is where Jordan it's all Love coming says, together. Oh, you think darkness is your ally? <laughs> you were merely adopted by the dark. <laughs> I was born in it. By the time I saw the light, I was already a man. Now I'm the starter. You got to go with the chance. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Go back out. I don't know, man, but it sounds like you got that whole clip worked out. Um, I'm not really sure what editors... I'm guessing you're probably not going to do it anyways, but uh, if you do, best of luck. Feel free to tag me in it. Sounds like uh, a lot of work, though. you got to pull a lot of clips and a lot of contact. The problem is people that are not super up on Batman, unless you're going to you know, stitch it together in certain kind of a way that explains it at the exact same time, then like it would, it would go over my head because I don't remember any of those quotes, but um, there's something there. That's, that's the hard part about doing those things is... Some people aren't going to know what the heck you're talking about, but you just, you just got to tweak it. Just get the editor, pull the clip, pull some Batman clips, and see what you can figure out. Ryan, Kyle from Madison. What up? up? All right, a couple points. So you're talking about a little bit of nasty on the defensive side, kind of the, the convict, crazy eyes mentality. Yep. Uh, remember when Quay Walker just body slammed that Minnesota Viking game? That was awesome. <laughs> was it stupid? Yes, it was. Did I love it? Yes, I did. Yep. I think if he can rein in some of the garbage, though, that, that's a guy that, that, that might check the boxes. But, yes, but that's kind of the thing. You want somebody that has to try to rein in the urge to punch somebody in the throat like Jair did. You know what I mean? Like, try trying really hard to resist that urge. That's, that's what I'm searching for. Uh, for that bit of nasty, if you can just be a little smarter how he applies it. On the other thing, I wanted to chime in on, I believe the conversation started about slow people in the left lane, and mm-hmm. you were hearing some of your grievances about people getting on your, on your butt, uh, on the interstate. So here's my two pet peeves, right? When you're in the left lane and something, cause you're passing, and, and something slows it down, something in front of you kind of slows down that left lane traffic, like a truck or an accident or whatever. <clears throat> and then everybody that just can't wait to go 100 miles an hour decides that the world revolves around them. So now it's time to start getting in the right lane at 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the right lane becomes the passing lane. Right. And everyone trying to pass on the left like you're supposed to gets freaking stuck there. Right. Because now... All the daredevils are in the right lane. I can't stand that. And the other thing, this happened to me this morning. So if I have one of our company trucks, there are these, like, conversion vans with the cargo area in the back. So they don't have any windows in the back. So they have pretty significant blind spots. And, yeah, there's extra mirrors. But you got to really take care when you're uh, switching lanes. You need to give yourself a couple car lengths before you try to get over. Um, because you just can't see with clarity 
And I get flagged with a little GPS thing if I exceed 76 miles an hour in those in those vehicles. And I know a lot of fleet vehicles have these, right? So you go to pass somebody going maybe 69 miles an hour, you pass them. I can only get up to like, you know, 74 or something like that. And you know, I got this guy right on my butt. And you can clearly see where I'm shooting for to get over to the right. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get one, barely a car length, I'm about, I put my blinker on, I'm about to get over. You know, this guy just freaking swerves around me into right. the area I was obviously going to pass to the right and then swerves back in the left lane in front of me. And it's like, dude, do you not understand what we're doing here? Right. Anyway, right. Yeah, that's where I said I get really annoyed. And it's also why I said I don't like people passing on the right. You know, I mean, Jersey Mike had mentioned, like, no, just stay there, I'll pass you. No, don't do that. Because what usually happens is I see you coming, right? I'm planning to get over. I'm going to get over. Just as you start to get closer, I'm going to flip on my turn signal, I'm going to go to the right. The problem is sometimes these people are like, oh, no, don't worry, they're just going to start flying in the right lane. So now I'm in the right lane, and you're in the right lane flying at me, about to hit me. Because I'm getting over to get out of your way, you're supposed to stay in the left lane. I'm getting out of your way. You're the one that's... You're not supposed to pass on the right. Now, sometimes you can't help it because somebody... You you try to get up on them and they do not move out of your way, so then you have to unfortunately pass on the right. But give me the opportunity to get out of the way. Because now we're doing this thing where it's kind of like when you walk into something and you're both like, oh, oh, I'm going to go left. No, no. Now we're both in the right. You're still flying at me. I'm thinking, do I need to get back in the left lane? You get back. It's like we're almost in an accident here. But yeah, that's where I start to get really annoyed. When somebody's like, I'm, I'm going over there. You see that I can't get over because there's somebody on my right. I will get over when I can. But as soon as they start riding me, now it's like, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to dial back. Because I know as soon as I get up there, obviously you can't just stay here because I'll go around you on the right-hand side. And I don't want to like speed up and get over on the right and let them get by. If I'm if I'm in a good mood, I will do that. I'll just speed up a little bit, get in the right, let them just go by and give me that glare. Like, how dare you not do 40 over? But most of the time, I'm just going to slow down. And now we've got a two-car caravan. You can't pass on the right. You can't pass me on the left. There's two lanes. And me and this guy are going to do 70 and a 70 the whole way until you get off my bumper. You're going to learn a lesson here today, you selfish piece of garbage. And as long as you stay on my bumper, I'm going to stay right here. And I'm actually surprised. There, there's there's a decent amount of times when people do get the message. Like, they'll get on my bumper, I will slow down, and they'll give me like a car length. And then it's like, all right, we're good. I will speed up, I'll get out of their way, and they can go on their merry way. I just do not handle that very well. There has to be some level of cooperation. It's why there are rules of the road. It's why there are things like merging and and slow lanes and fast lanes. It's because we need to have a common language and understanding of how things are supposed to be so that we can work things out. You don't understand that, and now you're going to give me a hard time because you think everybody should just get out of your way because you have no interest in cooperating. You just want to do what you want to do, and everybody needs to get out of your way, and that's not how this is going to work. Disrespectful piece of garbage. So you're just going to sit there. Again, I don't care if you want to speed, but you got to understand that when you come into a conflict, like cars going normal speeds, you got to deal with it and wait for them to get out of your way. You ride my bumper, though, you're stuck here now. I'm not going to let you pass anywhere. And I'm absolutely that guy. When I see somebody trying to pass me on the right, I'm going to speed up and make sure you can't get in front of me because screw you. We're all waiting. Like you said, there's a slowdown in the left lane. Some jerk-off is at the front of this caravan refusing to get over. So now the right lane's going a little bit faster. And you think you're going to pass 10 cars and what, fly in front of me? No, you're not. You're going to get stuck there. Now you're stuck in the right lane, jerk. I'm sorry. We're all stuck. 
You don't get to prioritize yourself over the next 10 cars in front of you because you have you you feel that you shouldn't have to wait for everybody else. That you're better than me and these other nine people. Because you're not. And I get really mad when people let them in. Like, don't, don't let them in. I want everybody, so, so I want all the nine cars that he passed and then the next 20 behind them to not let him in. So he ends up going to the back of the line. That's what I want. Late for work? Shouldn't have left so late. Don't care. Everybody's got problems. Sit in line and wait like everybody else. Ryan. Hey, Jeff from Milwaukee. How Howdy. are you? Good, how are you? Hey, I uh, heard Jersey Mike called in. He was talking about the defenses and showing different looks. Thanks for that call, Jersey Mike. Nice to hear from you. Um, I think maybe Jersey Mike was referencing this. Teams have been doing that for a while where they show these different looks. Um you know, it's been going on for for years, and man, Belichick and Al Saban at the college level does that. They'll show some look at the beginning. Oh, they're in cover one, and then they'll move to quarters or cover three, or you know, at the snap of the ball or just before the snap. Um, so that kind of disguising does exist. I think the danger of moving guys too close to the line of scrimmage. Obviously, if you're playing that quarters look, uh, you've got to be able to see what's in front of you when you're playing zones. You can't get too close to the line of scrimmage uh, because those routes might not start to occur. If a, if a receiver gets into that DB, um, you know, if he gets in close to him, it's going to be hard to, to kind of adjust. But uh, you can look this up on the just on, on a Google search, Jersey Mike. The quarter defense, the reason why teams have been doing that is because that's what prevents explosive offensive plays. So that's why so many teams have moved to that format now. And, Ryan, I think you can talk about that a little bit too. My issue with Joe Barry that called in previously before is I think – uh, there seems to just be communication breakdowns for whatever reason, or guys are not grasping stuff. And I don't know that he always has people in the right position. Kenny Clark being relegated to most of the snaps at nose tackle has been so frustrating for me. I'm excited to hear that Clayton might be taking over that position now, and that opens up Kenny to play all along that front. And I think he could have a big year. When he's able to play in a different spot, if Devontae Wyatt is the beast he looks like he is, has been so far, Kenny's going to have some freedom in a lot of one-on-one matchups. Uh, and I think Kenny can win those battles uh, more often than not. So I'm excited about that as well. Anyways, just wanted to call in with that. Love to hear from you, Ryan. Jersey Mike, thanks for that call. Found it very interesting. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Kenny Clark has been, for some years, sort of our top nose tackle, if you will. But one of the negative things about, you know, expecting him to take a big jump out to the outside and that making a big difference is, unfortunately, he hasn't primarily been a nose tackle. For example, let's just go back to 2020. He was our number one uh, defensive tackle lining up in the A-gap. If we look at his, his alignments here or what they what PFF called him, nose tackle, right nose tackle, left nose tackle, he had the most of those snaps of anybody. But still, the vast majority of his snaps did not come at nose tackle. He had 145 of his snaps A-gap, 338 were B-gap. Then, same story in 2021, he was number one in snaps in the A-gap, although Slayton was already very close to him in, in those snaps. But he had 130 in the A-gap, 410 in the B-gap. In fact, as a defensive end, essentially, over the tackle, 232 snaps. Almost double the amount of time he spent at nose tackle. And then this past year, T.J. Slayton had already overtaken him. T.J. Slayton was number one on the interior. Kenny Clark 
uh, was second, still with the um, second most amount, but 134 snaps, A gap, 462 B gap, 199 over tackle. So, I mean, it really isn't the case that he's been stuck on the inside and hasn't been able to do anything as a result of that. I mean, part of it is because nose tackle isn't a prevalent part of our defense because we a lot of times play nickel and just have two defensive linemen. I mean, I shouldn't say defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen on the field. You know, two linemen, four linebackers, whatever. However you want to classify that. But the reality is the vast majority of his time has been fighting guards and... um I don't know that that's going to change a ton. I mean, even if T.J. Slayton takes an even bigger role and Kenny Clark takes an even bigger step back, again, we're talking 130 snaps at nose tackle compared to pushing 500 as a defensive end last year. So I'm I'm not really expecting any kind of a massive change, and, and if there is, I don't think it's going to make as big of a difference as we think because everything that we've kind of been hoping for has sort of been happening all along. Now, is there going to be a slight change in terms of, I mean, if we just forget the alignment, is there going to be a change in function in terms of what he's going to be asked to do? I don't know. That's much more granular in terms of, you know, coaching that that I'm not even aware of exactly how all that works. However, at the end of the day, there's only running and passing, right? I understand there's there's two gapping, gap and a half, one gap, all that stuff, whatever. But on a run play, your job is to stop the run. On a pass play, your job is to get the quarterback, right? That's not going to change. It's you and the guy in front of you and you trying to stop him from stopping you from doing what you want to do. And you're either going to do it or you're not. And I think the way our our defense has been structured for quite a while now with having some pretty talented pass rushers and whatnot, I don't necessarily think it's been the case that Kenny Clark's just been facing a ton of two uh, uh, double teams. I mean, occasionally, but I I really just don't think that's the case. So we'll see. We'll see if if things change, but I, I don't think it'll be hugely different. Um, forget exactly what you were talking about as far as the, uh, I think you were saying like cover four or something as a result of trying to take away explosive plays. But yeah, I know, I know Clayton, uh, in his last episode talked quite a bit about, you know, some, some of the fundamental breakdowns and whatnot. And I think the very obvious reality that, you know, if I'm interpreting it right, that Clayton's trying to get across in terms of big picture is. We don't want to have too simplistic, too simplistic of an idea of what went wrong. It's all Joe Barry, right? Which is a large sentiment across Packer fans. Obviously, Joe Barry wasn't perfect. Obviously, the players had made mistakes. I think there's just a debate about to what degree the mistakes are one and not the other. But I honestly think, I mean, I understand as a Packer fan, if you feel Joe Barry is largely the problem, why you would disagree with with Clayton or me, for that matter, because I don't think he's... The sole issue, I don't know if he's a good defensive coordinator, I have no idea, and honestly, there's there's not a lot of evidence for it, but it really is a message of hope for our defense to say that the players are taking responsibility because they acknowledge they were not doing a good enough job to take the responsibility off of Joe Barry. Maybe that's the wrong thing to do, but I'm here to tell you right now, if Joe Barry's the problem, we're screwed. So it's not a terrible thing to at least step back from the table for a second and say, you know what, so Joe Barry clearly made some mistakes, Right. At what point, I don't know, but somewhere in there, like every human being that's that on our football team, Matt LaFleur and Jair, and everybody had made mistakes at some point. But one of the things that I do remember is last year, when I was very upset with Joe Barry in the defense, when Matt LaFleur was asked about it, he very, very, I mean, I should borderline say never went after Joe Barry. It was always about the players, and it was always about execution. He always turned it around to that. 
it was very clear from his perspective and from Joe Barry's perspective, the problem wasn't the scheme, it was the execution. And now we have players saying, and, and again, I don't necessarily think the players buy into Joe Barry. It's just a vibe I'm getting. I don't really think so. Even the way Jair answered that question, it just felt like, whatever, that dude can do whatever the hell he wants. I don't care. At the end of the day, we got to go out and do our jobs. But ultimately, that's true. Just do it. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if this isn't the way that you want to play. This is the guy that was brought in here. This is the scheme we're running. Learn it and do it. And I think this is all a good thing. Recognizing that it isn't just Joe Barry that was a disaster. He may still be a disaster. I don't know. But recognizing that. And then also having players saying, you know what? We were not doing what we needed to do. We were not executing, which also is obvious. It honestly gives me a little bit of hope for our defense. Because again, I'm, I'm telling you right now, which again is maybe what, what many Packer fans think. If Joe Barry is the problem and he's still here, we have no hope. There's no hope. So yeah, we're, we're going to be running this, this style of defense that is very prevalent throughout the NFL, that has a lot of success throughout the NFL, and hopefully we can run it better. Whether that be tweaks from Joe Barry in terms of how he runs things, which is important, right? Because we can say that this scheme is run all over the NFL, but at the end of the day, they're all different. And a key component to that for any good coach is how do I adapt this scheme to the players that I have here? And maybe that's where Joe Barry sucks. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it's not recognizing, you know, I, I can't put this on the shoulders of my safeties because my safeties suck. I, I, I don't know. But we know that it can work. All we need is Joe to make the right, uh, you know, game plan properly, call the right plays, and then we need execution. And we know that we have everything we need to be a great defense. That does take away explosive plays and then some. But we, we got to have our guys show up. I mean, I, I look at Kenny and, and yeah, we can look at it and say, well, he's a, they keep putting him a nose tackle and that's why he's failing. But I mean, I think if you just watch it, which I have many times you watch, and, and sometimes Kenny is just a monster. Don't get me wrong. He, he will destroy entire plays by himself. But there are times you watch him just get washed out or whatever, and it's like, you can't blame Joe Barry for that, you know? It's not like he's playing nose tackle, getting double teamed. He just lost. We need our dominant players to be dominant, period. I mean, it's the same thing I said with Rodgers. You got that money for a reason, because you are expected to be the greatest. You got the most money of anybody in this entire league. You need to play up to that standard. Kenny got massively paid. He needs to play up to that standard. Jair, high expectations. Rudy Ford, not as high of expectations. I hope he can play well. If he doesn't, well, I mean, that's kind of what you expect from a guy like Rudy Ford. I mean, I'm not, can't really be mad at him. He just is what he is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing sucks to me worse than, than the idea that Joe Barry is the problem. Because last year sucked. This year is going to suck. Then he's going to get fired. We're going to find a new defensive coordinator. That year's probably going to suck because it's his first year in the system. Then we got to go through another year, and that's going to be maybe the big breakout year, except if our track record has taught us anything. It's that it probably meant that it was a bad hire, and then that year's not going to go well. And then we're going to talk about firing him, except he's probably not going to get fired because we always give him a year too long, and so he's going to get another year to prove his worth. Then we're going to have the same conversation. It's going to be 2038 by the time we actually have a defensive coordinator that can do anything, and all the talented players on defense and offense are going to be gone. So, yeah, maybe Joe Barry is is a terrible defensive coordinator, but to me, that is a that is a um, well, we're 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 screwed if, if that's the case, and I don't want to be screwed. I want I want to uh, I want to run the system, and I want the guys to execute it. And if the guys are doing the best they possibly can, and the defense isn't still coming together, then fine. Let's burn the freaking thing to the ground, I guess. But let's at least see the guys play at a high level before we do that, because we didn't see that. Devondre took a half a step back, largely, according to him, due to injury. Quay didn't play well. Kenny played horribly. The, the safeties were a complete joke. Rashawn was injured half the year. 
I don't think anybody in that defensive line was was really massively redeemable. Show me these guys doing doing everything right and the defense not working. And then then it's time to get rid of Joe Barry. I took that in my own little direction because I wasn't exactly sure your question, but there you go. Ryan, it's uh, A.A. Ron from Eau Claire. So I'm just giving you a call. I've, I've been watching that quarterback series a bunch, and uh, I wanted to just uh, comment on a couple of things regarding um, the quarterback position. But first, um, <laughs> that that high school video of Kirk Cousins singing in an a cappella group was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I almost didn't believe it. I had to rewind and rewatch it. Um, so that was. I saw that floating around on social media the last couple of years, so I wasn't super shocked by that. But yeah, that's that's pretty hilarious, and it makes more sense when you get to know him. Because when I first saw that, I was like, "Oh man, he must be so embarrassed that that got out. Like he was such a nerd." And it's like, no, he's the same dude. Like he wasn't embarrassed by that. In fact, then then well, maybe I won't spoil it for you. I don't know if you got there yet, but he kind of does something that indicates that he hasn't changed at all. That was hilarious, but. My my big observation is a lot of these quarterbacks seem to be sort of eccentric or um, just kind of have a eccentric or um, sort of unique personality, um, you know, or they tend to be kind of goofballs, but also like super intense and competitive and like Patrick Mahomes on that show, you know, he's... He's just such a goof, but in such a, like, such a leadership way, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, it's it's hard not to, to just like the guy, especially how after he gets sacked or hit by the opposing defense, he'll say, good rush, man, good rush, you know. Um, so it, it's kind of fun to watch the uh, process that they go through, but also just to see that a lot of these um, quarterbacks, they just have to be kind of a, in a way, a different kind of player. Um, like Peyton Manning is a good example too. He's kind of a goofy, you know, cerebral guy, but with a, with a goofy sense of humor, same with Eli Manning. Um, not sure about Tom Brady. I, I think he's probably got a lot of sides to him. Um, Aaron Rodgers certainly is uh, kind of a goofy, eccentric guy. Um, Russell Wilson, same thing, you know. So, and yeah, there's probably a few more like, you know, straight to the point kinds of guys like Marcus Mariota seems more like, more like that. But it's just kind of fun to watch um, and to appreciate the uh, the human element that goes into the game. So, anyways, go back, go. Two other people that were a little odd and eccentric that I'm aware of are Elon Musk and Albert Einstein. Maybe there's something to do with uh, really cerebral, high-intellect people. I don't know. Because, I mean, I really do think that's a big part of it. I don't think you can be a quarterback unless you're extremely smart. I'm sure there's been some examples of people that are just um, great talents. I mean, maybe you could point to Brett Favre. I don't know what his... Uh, what his wonder look was. I know Aaron Rodgers made fun of him over it, but um, I just think it, you know, it's, it's such a massive component. I mean, to every position, but I think, I think quarterback in particular. And then, then when you look at him and you see the amount of work that goes into it, especially, you know, Kirk Cousins and just how psychotic he was. I mean, he's like stabbing himself in the brain with these electrodes to try to get his brain to focus better. And 
you know, he's he's like in meetings, they're they're calling out plays, and then he records it and he plays it in his car so that he can, you know, replay it. You know, somebody will say the play and then he'll repeat it just to kind of learn how to do that. I mean, it's it is just such an absolute grind. More from Mahomes seem to be more on the physical side of it, but I'm sure he's just as much on the mental. And you know, you look at the physical and and what gets put into it, it's freaking crazy. And so I I you know, I've, I've talked about it before, man. That there's there's guys who are going to get into the league because they're physically talented and gifted enough and they'll sit around and they'll play their video games and, and they'll have a decent career and then they'll be gone. But I think if you're going to reach that upper echelon, there's, there's got to be something different. There's, there's an element of, of what you are and then there's just a psychotic amount of work that you put on top of that. You know, it's how guys like Kirk Cousins, who are what, like a mid-round guy, becomes where he is. Just different kinds of people. But yeah, and Rogers the same way. I mean, I think he's just a very high intellect person. And I think that does contribute to some of that kind of quirkiness, which I know is a lot of, is the opposite of what a lot of people say, which is that he's an idiot. But I, I think he's um, extremely intelligent, and that that's a big part of the reason why he's a little bit out there. Ryan, Kyle from Madison. Hi. Hey, I just was able to listen to your After Dark from the other day uh, and your reply to my comments about the perception of motion in the offense. And how it was much, it wasn't that much less, uh, according to statistics, than a lot of uh, the other teams in other years. And you were commenting on the perception of it. And I got thinking, yeah, you know, why not? I guess what is the disadvantage in this? I honestly don't know. But what is the disadvantage of the larger motion pieces, you know, pre-snap? To me, it seems like the larger the motion before the snap, the more advantageous, and I don't know if that's if that's true or not. I'm just in my head that to me, the larger the motion, the more information you could glean from from the defense's response should they respond to that motion. But um, I also got to thinking too, you know, and this just might be a perception thing. But how many times these last few years have we just got to the line of scrimmage with like four seconds left? Right. You know, I mean, who knows how much motion was called uh, originally anyway. Um, I feel like we've been snapping the ball on zero for years now. And I, that has to impact what you could even do with motion because you literally have four seconds to initiate that motion and get the player where they need to be before you snap the ball. Um I don't know if that's exclusively an Aaron Rodgers thing or if that was just an offense thing. I'm not sure. Um, it kind of flies in the face of of when Aaron would talk about wanting to get as much information from the defense as possible. Um, you know, it seems like an opposite thing. If you want them as much information about the defense as possible, get there sooner. Do stuff to make them tell you. And we just we didn't. Again, maybe it's my perception. It seems like we didn't do a lot of that. Uh, my wish with a young quarterback this season is, like, let's get to the line with, like, 15 seconds. Um, I don't want to see – certainly there's going to be more delay of game probably just because of the young players. But, like, let's let's try and get that play-in, gang, and get to the line so that we have some time to make adjustments or initiate motion, please. I don't want to see love – Getting that call and the, the play calling late and trying to set stuff up because it's just it's going to put him in a position to fail. So, just wanted to add that. Thanks a lot, bud. 
Well, in a sense, you you almost answered, um, you, you gave my answer to the question. What is one negative to motion? It slows things down. That was one of the thoughts that I had had when that was addressed to Matt LaFleur. And he mentioned how very much and how important it is that they hurry up and not, you know, have these delay of game penalties or what. We, we have to be faster. And and my thought on that, I mean, you, you could take it either way. You could look at it from your standpoint and say, we got to be faster so that we can get to the line and, and be able to do motion and all that stuff. My thought on it was, we just need to be able to move the ball faster. We, we need the pace of our offense to be quicker. We take way too much time, period. And I think motion slows that down. From the time of one snap to the next snap, the Packers are way too slow. I mentioned this the other day, but I figure since this is the second time I've brought it up, I might as well find it. Um, I've got a stat here. Offensive pace. I don't know if this is in seconds or what, but 32.9, they ranked 28th, which is to say they were one of the slowest teams at their, well, offensive pace. Again, I don't know exactly how this is calculated. My guess is from the time of the, from one snap to the next snap, probably 32.9 seconds, I guess. And they, they need that to be faster. And I do think motion is going to slow that down. And that may actually cut down the amount of motion. If their goal is we need to be get to the line, snap the ball, run the play, get to the line, snap the ball, run the play. Motion is just, okay, get to the line, stop, make my read, call this out. Okay, you know, you now you can move. All right, now you move. And it's like, we're, we're, that's just slowing things down. So anyways, that would be one answer to your question of why not just use motion all the time. There must be a lot of answers because, again, Nobody really uses motion more than 25% of the time. The last two years, has been one team that's been in the 40s. They're always one of these Shanahan-style teams. It was Miami one year, San Francisco the next year. But like the second place guy is like 27%, and it's all down from there. So three quarter, even teams that use it at a high level, three quarters of the time, they don't use it. So there has to be some reason. I'm not entirely sure what it is. Because you're right, I, I think it is beneficial to, to help you read the defense, but also to help keep the defense off balance. But... Yeah, that that um, that would be my thought. We're, we're on the same wavelength. We're just seeing it from different perspectives. For you, it's if they hurry more, we can run it more. My thought is they want to hurry more, so they'll run it less. But I don't know. Could be either. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 